We're going to be looking this morning at Psalm 23, but before we do that, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much, God, for who you are. You're Yahweh, the Good Shepherd. And God, we look to you this morning. We look to you for peace in our hearts. God, we thank you for salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. God, thank you that you're faithful. Thank you that you never change, that you're dependable, that you're trustworthy. And God, as we look at this Psalm of David, God, I pray that you would work in our hearts this morning, that we would be challenged through your word, and God, the glory would go to you. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So reading from Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do more beautiful words exist? Where do these words take you this morning? What memories do they arouse? What comforts do they bring to your heart? It's almost as if David sets out to deliver us from some lesser deity. Though he speaks of green pastures, his thesis is not a thesis of rest. Though he describes death's somber valley, this poem is not an ode to dying. Though he looks ahead to the Lord's house, his theme is not heaven. Why did King David write Psalm 23? Well, first and foremost, we find the answer right in the first verse of the psalm. He writes it to point us to the good shepherd, to proclaim without shame who his shepherd is. David uses 57 Hebrew words to point us to the Lord. And he begins, the Lord is my shepherd. It's as if David is saying, you can be led by whoever you wish, but as for me, I will be led by the Lord. David says the Lord. It's the Hebrew Yahweh or Yahweh as we say it in the English. Yahweh is my shepherd. This word Yahweh was rich to David. J, uh, excuse me, David chose the Hebrew word Yahweh rather than El Shaddai, God Almighty, El Elyon, God Most High, El Alam, God the Everlasting, or even the other word translated Lord, Adoniah, the word Lord, Master, or Ruler. You see, Yahweh is God's personal name. 
it's like this. You can call me a preacher, a pastor, Vanessa's husband, Jessica's father. When I worked in the business world, I was known as James Fault because actually James is my first name. But Rusty, my middle name, is the name that my friends know me by. It's my personal name. God has given us his personal name, and his personal name is Yahweh. That's what his children call him. He wants us to know him personally. 700 years earlier, as God spoke to Moses through the burning bush, Moses asked God, when the children of Israel ask me, what, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And in verse 14 of Exodus 3, and God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God later tells Moses, I am the Lord. Exodus chapter 6. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Yahweh, Lord, I was not known to them. You see, the Israelites considered God's name too holy to be spoken by human lips. They often substituted Yahweh with Adoniah, the word for master, Scribes would actually take a bath before writing the word Yahweh and then destroy their writing utensil afterwards. Although in God's word, he never gives us a definition of Yahweh, it's strikingly close to the Hebrew word to be or I am. It's probably a combination of the present tense I am and the causative tense I cause to be. So Yahweh is I am and I cause. This implies a number of things to us. One, Yahweh is an unchanging God. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 102, but you are the same. He never changes. He's always the same. Therefore, God is dependable and he's trustworthy. He's also an uncaused or self-governing God. Though he creates, he was never created. Though he makes, he was never made. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 90, Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. He's also an ungoverned God. He's independent or ungovering. We're, we're governed by natural laws, by the laws of this nation, possibly to some degree by our spouses at times, but ultimately we're governed by God. But God is not governed. He's not subject to any of these laws. God is a spirit. He has no limitations. He is everywhere all the time. He's outside of time. And these attributes give us but a glimpse of who our Heavenly Father is. He's certainly unchanging. He's uncaused. He's ungoverned. 
And I don't know about you, but I need this kind of a shepherd. We need a shepherd who's always the same. Therefore, he's dependable. He's trustworthy. We need a shepherd who is uncaused, who is eternal. The one that no one can take his life from him. We need a shepherd who faithfully meets our needs. You and I need Yahweh. We need a God that can shepherd us. According to Jeremiah, Yahweh is also our creator, so he's omnipotent. We need a shepherd who can place 100 billion stars in just our galaxy and one to 200 billion stars or actually galaxies in the universe. The psalmist declares, you've heard this one before. I'm sure you're familiar, Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. We need a shepherd that can create man out of the dust of the ground with 30 trillion cells, 75 billion of which are nerve cells. And every one of these nerve cells are connected to approximately 10,000 other nerve cells. They have these connections. We need a God that can create man with not three dimensional DNA, but four dimensional DNA. And by the arrangement of this DNA stores the instructions for every cell in our entire body. It's the software. It's the instruction manual. Yes, you and I need Yahweh. We need the Lord. The psalmist David declares, the Lord is my shepherd. When a person declares the Lord, Yahweh is my shepherd, it implies a profound yet practical relationship between a man and his maker. It links a lump of coal or a lump of clay, I should say, to a divine creator. It means a mere mortal is cherished by divine love or with divine love. The fact that God in Christ is deeply concerned about me as a person implies great purpose and enormous meaning to my short journey on this planet. In this psalm, David is writing not as a shepherd, although he had been one. He's writing as one of the flock. It was as if David was saying, look who my shepherd is. Yahweh is my shepherd. My shepherd is the I am and the I cause. He is the eternal, self-existing, unchanging, ungovering, independent creator God. If you're here this morning, if you're listening this morning, and you can't honestly say, Yahweh is my shepherd, understand, as we saw two weeks ago, that John the Baptist would be the forerunner of the one Isaiah called Yahweh, the Lord. We saw how Isaiah prophesied the coming of the Lord Jesus, calling him the suffering servant, the one that would suffer for the sins of man. In Isaiah's prophecy, the Messiah would be a shepherd. 
Isaiah 40 that Luke refers back to when uh, proclaiming John the Baptist, the forerunner, Isaiah 40, 11, Isaiah prophesied, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. We see that he would be a shepherd. Jesus would be a shepherd. Jesus himself said this in John 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and does not care, doesn't really care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. Listen to the words of Christ. I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ did. Just as Isaiah and Isaiah chapter 53, what an amazing book, the book of Isaiah. Isaiah declared, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we're healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Folks, the Lord Jesus Christ is Yahweh in human flesh. He is the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd. He's the shepherd of the sheep. He's not a hireling. He lays down his life. He laid down his life for his sheep. Folks, this is a shepherd that you can trust. He does not walk away when danger comes. He's not like a hireling. He's the owner of the sheep. He's the sovereign owner of the sheep. He's the good shepherd that laid down his life for the sheep. Again, in John 10, Jesus also said, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. And if you're familiar with Shepherding, the shepherd would have to take the sheep often a long distance away to find those green meadows. And so the shepherd would build a sheepfold, sometimes uh, just using brush, sometimes using rock. But at night, for the protection of the sheep, he would lead those sheep into the sheepfold and he would sit in the door. The shepherd was the door. Jesus said, I am the door. Folks, to be in that place of safety from the judgment of God, we must be in the sheepfold. We must be 
his sheep and he sits in the door for our protection. It's only through him that we're saved. David continues, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You may not realize this, I didn't for many years, but sheep are dumb. It wasn't till Christmas of 2001 that I realized just how true this statement really is. It was at our live nativity that I experienced my first contact with sheep. And I pointed this out to Vanessa after trying to herd a sheep to the right location. And she immediately told me how much it bothered her. And she later told me that it was because of what she was thinking about Psalm 53, which actually at one point describes Jesus as being a sheep. But Jesus was likened to a sheep only in the sense of being silent when led to his crucifixion, to the slaughter. It's really you and I that's often described as a sheep. We've read it already, Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. We are described as sheep. That's the image. That's the analogy. And like it or not, sheep are really dumb animals. Have you ever heard of a sheep trainer? You ever seen a sheep doing tricks? You ever heard of a sheep saving someone's life? Sheep are dumb. They're also defenseless animals. They have no fangs, no claws, no means to protect themselves. They're not even fast runners. Sheep are very dependent creatures. The scriptures refer to sheep going astray, at least in six different passages. Sheep need a shepherd. They need a shepherd to lead them to green meadows. They need a shepherd to guide them to still waters. They need a shepherd to protect them from dangerous animals. They need a shepherd to construct a fold for their safety, to sit in the door of the fold. They need a shepherd to lead them, to keep account of them, a shepherd that owns them, not a hireling. They need a shepherd that's willing to give his life for the sheep. The Lord is that kind of shepherd. And you and I are a lot like physical sheep. We're stubborn. We sometimes wander away from the Lord. We work so hard at being independent. We often say things like, I don't need any advice. I can handle this myself. I don't need any help. I can do it on my own. And we men, we often say, I don't need to read the instructions. Let's take a test. Just between you and God, true or false, I have full control over my life. I have peace with everyone. I don't have any fears. I don't harbor any feelings of unforgiveness. I don't do anything wrong. 
I don't need forgiveness. Lest we can answer yes to all these questions, it sounds to me like we need a shepherd. Honestly, the sin nature, the human nature as we call it, leads us to want to shepherd our own lives, to not depend upon the Lord. Our psalm sounds something like this, I am my own shepherd, but I reluctantly admit I do have needs. Though my world is a desert and my only water is a raging river. I work to make a name for myself through long days of toil. Life forces me into the valley of death. And yes, I do fear what's coming. I fear God's rod and I avoid his staff. I fear everything from pestilence to governments. But I can do this alone. I go down to the weekly staff meeting and I'm surrounded by my enemies. I go home and my spouse gives me the eye. I anoint my headache with extra shrink Tylenol and my stress with Xanax. My Jack Daniels runneth over. Surely misery and misfortune will follow me all the days of my life and I will live in self-doubt forever. As much as we want to be in control, as much as we want to be our own shepherds, if we're honest, we are failures at shepherding our own lives. We wander away. We stray. We want to be independent. We're strong-willed. I need the Lord. I need Yahweh. I need Yahweh to be my shepherd. For just a moment, allow me to take you to an imaginary prison. This is the most populated prison in the world. It has more inmates than bunks, more prisoners than provisions. Inmates are overworked, underfed, walls are bare, bunks are hard. And almost all of these inmates will never, ever get out of this prison. They will never escape. This is the prison of want. You've seen these prisoners. Maybe you're one of them. You see, many people are prisoners of want. These prisoners don't want much. They just want one more thing. If I just had one more thing, I would be happy. Another job, another car, a house, maybe even another spouse. When I get one more, they say, I will be happy. When I get one more, I can leave the prison of want. And maybe in their own minds they do. But then the new car smell passes. The new job gets old. The neighbors get a larger TV. Your new spouse isn't as perfect as you once thought. Here's the question. What would it take to make you happy? I will be happy when. Think about all the possessions you have. Think about the position that you have that you work so hard for. Think about all the pleasures in life that you enjoy. Do any of these things make you happy? 
allow me to remind you of two biblical truths. Number one, your stuff is not yours. Ask any coroner, how much did he leave behind? He will always say all of it. Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes writes in chapter 5, as he came from his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and he shall take nothing from his labor which he may carry away in his hand. Ultimately, everything that we have, everything that we've worked for is God's. But God in his grace has entrusted these things to us. He's given us the responsibility to take care of them, but we must never forget that our provisions are not ours. They're God's. The second biblical truth, all your stuff is not you. That may sound obvious, but who you are has nothing to do with the clothes you wear, the car you drive, or the house you live in. Jesus said in Luke 12, Take heed and be aware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Wouldn't it be nice to see things as God sees them? After all, God sees everything as it truly is. He sees us as we truly are. Samuel 16, 7, 1 Samuel. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. When God thinks of you, he sees your faith. He sees your heart. He sees the sacrifices you make for the kingdom, your devotion, He sees your pain, but he does not think of you based on what you have or do not have. When you break this down to where the rubber meets the road, do you know what worldliness is in the word of God? It's pleasure seeking, seeking pleasure or satisfaction through the things of this world, the things that this world has to offer, but they never give lasting satisfaction. John wrote in 1 John chapter 2, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Lust of the flesh is seeking pleasure through what we do. Lust of the eyes is seeking pleasure through what we can get. Pride of life is seeking satisfaction through who I am or who I can become. 1 John 2.17, the world is passing away. It's temporary. And the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. King David, the ancient king of Israel, has a secret to tell you. It's the secret of satisfaction 
He writes, the Lord, the Yahweh is my shepherd. I shall not want. That's the secret to satisfaction. Yahweh, Yahweh is my shepherd. I shall not want. When Yahweh is your shepherd, you will not want. He's the provider. If you know the Lord, you have every reason to be content. Paul's contentment was not based on the things that he had. Philippians chapter 4, he writes, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Paul knew how to do without and he knew how to have an abundance But his contentment was not based upon things. It was based upon God. Paul was actually far less fortunate than we are today. But he was content because he knew the secret. His contentment was in the Lord. Years ago, I read this story. I don't know nothing about this pastor. I don't even know who he was. But listen to the words because it brings real meaning. While on a short-term missions trip, Pastor Jack Hinton was leading worship at a leper colony on the island of Tobago. A woman who had been facing away from the pulpit turned around. And he writes this. It was the most hideous face I've ever seen, Hinton said. The woman's nose and ears were entirely gone. But she lifted a fingerless hand in the air and asked, Can we sing, Count Your Many Blessings? Overcome with emotion, Hinton left the service. He was followed by a team member who said, I guess you'll never be able to sing that song again. Yes, he will. Yes, I will, excuse me. Yes, I will, he replied but I'll never sing it the same way again. Maybe we should pray like the old Puritan. I sat down to a meal of bread and water and bowed my head and declared, all this and Jesus too? The Lord is the provider. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This whole psalm is based upon this first verse, showing that he is the sustainer. He's the one that gives us real provision, spiritual provision. He's the one that provides protection. And all this is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord is the great provider but he provides so much more than our daily bread. He provides real satisfaction that's found only in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can suffer great need in this life and still be content because you know the Lord. You know the one that provides and you know what matters. You know that satisfaction comes from a relationship with the Good Shepherd. You know that more important than daily bread is forgiveness of sins. And you know that because your sins have been forgiven, you have everything that you need. 
The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. If you've never called out to him in faith, Jesus Christ, in his grace and his mercy, left the glories of heaven, came to a sin-cursed world, lived a perfectly holy life. He kept the law perfectly. He was crucified for our sins. He was raised from the dead on the third day, victorious over sin, death, and the grave. He is the good shepherd that lays down his life for his sheep. Call upon him. Call upon the good shepherd that's faithful, that will faithfully save your soul. He's not like a hireling. When danger comes, when the enemy comes, he doesn't run away. He is totally faithful. The unchanging, faithful God. Look to him in faith. Call upon him. Trust in him with all your heart. Trust him to save you from the problem of sin that we all are born with. And none of us can escape apart from his grace and mercy. Call upon him. I challenge you this day. And if you know the Lord and you can say the Lord is my shepherd, what a blessing, what blessings we have in Christ Jesus. We've been blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ because he is the provider. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you, God, for who you are. For you indeed are the good shepherd. You are Yahweh, the eternal, self-existing, independent, ungovering creator God. And we are yours through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. May we all be able to say today, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, because we lack nothing in Christ. Work in our hearts. By your power, drag the sheep into the fold that they would be born again by your Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.